this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, please contact Nexus Church. As I was saying, who enjoyed last Sunday night? Incredible. It was, I want to agree with Pastor Cam, I think, said this morning, it was his favourite Sunday that he's been a part of here. He's been here a lot longer than I have, but in the three years I've been at this church, that was absolutely my favourite Sunday. It was incredible, not just to celebrate the people that were being baptised, but to see a church come together and be a community, and to see how excited all of us were and and all of you were for each other and for the people getting baptised, and uh, that was really incredible. It felt like a family night. It felt good. But God's not done. He didn't just stay last week. He wants to move again tonight. So as I've already said, open your hearts. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you tonight. I'm, I'm really excited about the word that, he's, that, uh, that I have to share. And um, I've been really challenged in a, a number of ways this week in preparing it. I've, as you would have heard last week, I sounded like Brian Houston. I had something really intense going on with my voice. And this week I then got the remnants of that and it's, it's been a joy. But you know what? I know that God still wants to work through it. I believe that there is going to be breakthrough for people tonight. I believe that tonight people are going to make the choice truly for the first time to be disciples, to no longer just be believers, to no longer just call themselves Christians, but to be able to say, I am a disciple. And that's my prayer tonight is that all of us have that revelation. And and I have that again this week. So to frame that up, I want to ask this question. Do you want to be a disciple Or do you just want to look like a disciple? Kind of an intense question, I know, a bit confronting. And the good news is I'm not going to drag you out, I'm not going to shame you or anything like that. But that's the question I want you to have in the back of your mind as we we go through the Scriptures tonight. Do I want to be a disciple or do I just want to look like a disciple? You know, I've been, uh, in April, Re and I will have been married for nine years, which is pretty amazing. Well done, Re, right? Nine years, killing it. Uh, that'll be nine years. And when we got married, we, we went over to Thailand for our honeymoon. That was pre-COVID when you could travel without catching a cold. And so we headed over to Thailand and, and we found something there that combined two things both of us love in the one, and that's shopping. Usually, I'm not a, a big fan of shopping. I don't enjoy shopping centers. I don't enjoy buying clothes. Clothes don't really fit me properly for some reason. But I don't love shopping, but I love haggling. I love getting a good price. And in Thailand, the only way to shop is to haggle. So Ree was pumped because she got to go shopping and I got to go haggling. So we were, we were absolutely loving it. But what I saw there, the reason you can haggle is because everything that's for sale is fake. None of it's real. You have varying levels of fakeness. You have the, the super, super cheap, which is wrong logo, wrong material, wrong colours. And then you have the all the way at the other end that it actually looks like the real thing. And it only takes a, a professional or someone with a keen eye to know that it's not fake. And I really enjoyed this because, uh, interestingly, so at that point in churches, there was a fascination with nudie jeans. And uh, Christians really jumped on board because they were these overpriced jeans that were sustainably made. And we're like, yeah, I can support those people making those and spend bulk money on it. But I found this shop that sold nudie jeans, which is kind of ironic, I guess, because they weren't sustainably made. But basically, I was able to buy these jeans and, and there was Calvin Klein undies as well. These are so expensive. And my real Calvin Klein undies that I think I had one pair of, they're probably hand-me-downns. They're my real ones, not really. We don't use hand-me-down undies. It's okay. My real ones actually didn't last as long as my ones from Thailand. 
which is amazing. So very good seamstresses and seamsters over there. But my point is this. When you buy something fake, only two people know it's fake. The person who made it, because they were obviously not in the legitimate factory making it, and the person who bought it, because you know that either you got a really great deal or it's fake. And more often than not, it's the first one. And I want you to have this in the back of your mind as we unpack this scripture, because when we talk about discipleship, I can't tell you if you're being a genuine disciple or not. You see, you may look on the outside that you're doing all the things, you're going through the motions, you're making all these decisions that look like you're a disciple, but on the inside, you're just doing what looks like it. And so tonight, I can't tell you if you're being fake, I can't tell you if you're being real, but this is what I can tell you, is Jesus invites us all to be disciples. And so tonight, as we unpack this, I I hope to kind of demystify a couple of things um, with the discipleship journey, especially in the beginning stages uh, as we explore this passage. So let's jump into it. So we're going to 2 Peter 1, and the production team have been very nice to me because I gave them the whole chapter, not sure exactly which bit I'd read, but I'm going to go from verse 3. Let's go from verse 3 through to verse 9. It says this, actually verse 2, sorry team, keeping them on their toes. Sorry, Cam, you do a great job, my friend. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So when we speak about discipleship, the thing that is most important from a starting point is what is your foundation? Your foundation always has to be the gospel. And it's inaccurate to think, often we think the gospel is just for those who aren't saved. We think it's for those who are non-Christians. But the truth is, the gospel is so important in all of us maturing in our faith. I'm going to read Tim Keller's quote because he says it's much better than I can. He says, it's inaccurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians and then Christians mature by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. It is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel and then we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. You know, that's a really powerful thought. We can never get sick of hearing the gospel. We can never get sick of reading about the gospel, hearing people preach the gospel, because the gospel is the key in us maturing in our faith. uh, So the, the, the key question at the start of your disciple journey is, what is your version of the gospel? Because that's an important thing. If we went around this room and we said, what's your version of the gospel? I think there'd be a lot of similarities But we'd also see a few outliers. We'd see a few things that maybe are slightly different to the person beside us. And in this passage, it talks about knowledge. And this word knowledge, the original word is epignosis. And so it's not just knowing something, but it's knowing a very correct and precise truth. 
And so when it talks about our knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's talking about a correct and precise view of Jesus and what he's done for us. You know, in, uh, in John 1.14, it, it, it says this. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, I, as I said, if we went around this room and spoke about the gospel, I think that we'd all fall on a spectrum somewhere. Somewhere in the middle of truth and grace at, at both ends of the scale. And this is important because the gospel happens in two quick movements. It firstly says, I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. And it secondly says, I'm more accepted and loved than I ever dared hoped. Or I ever hoped, probably not dared in there, added an extra word. But those two things are so important. And we look at grace and truth, often we can just like one of those statements more than the other. You know, maybe you just like, I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. Maybe when you think about your faith and think, think about your, your walk as a disciple, you always come back to how guilty you are and you just can't get it right and I've got to work harder. And when we do this, we lose the grace side of it. Or maybe you're at the other end. I'm more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. Maybe through the gospel, you feel like you've got a bit of a license to just do what you want. But both of these are extremes, and I don't think there's many people that are at one extreme or the other, but we all fall somewhere on this spectrum. And as we go into discipleship, it's, it's important to know where we land because we need both of those things in equal measure. Jesus came full of grace and truth. So I'd ask the question, do you fall to the legalism side, which is truth, or do you fall to the license side, which is grace? Because as you reflect on that, you can then start to do things and start to study the Word to allow yourself to become more central. If you're a super, super, super grace person, super, super grace person is the uh, official biblical term, then you probably need to learn a bit more about obedience and learn a bit more. Later, we're, we're going to look at, there's two words here that, that trigger us a little bit, and that's effort. Maybe you need to put a bit more effort in to living a godly life. If you're at the other end with legalism, maybe you need to get another... Uh, revelation of what Jesus has done because it is by grace that we're saved in in Galatians 2 16 it says yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ and both of these things legalism and license attempt to attempt to steal the heart of the gospel from us and this if the, if the heart of the gospel stolen from us, this will stagnate our growth as disciples. So before we can get into any of the parts of living a life as a disciple, we first need to ask the question, do I know what the gospel means for my life? Do I have a balanced view of truth and grace with the gospel and its effect on my life? So I want to go to a couple of those things. Uh, there, there's a verse here, and I'm going to spend most of my time here. This is a bit different for me. Usually I like working all the way through the passage. But this one verse, two bits really stuck out to me. And, and they're things that in my walk I've grappled with at times. Because we don't want to talk about works. We hate talking about works when it comes to faith. But verse 5 says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Two words there, effort and add. I struggle with those words. Effort, when I feel like I'm putting effort in, can feel like it's works-based. And I think we're told from the start, don't add anything to your faith. But Peter here is very clearly saying, make every effort 
to add to your faith. So tonight I just want to have a, a little bit of look of, of what he's actually saying here because there's some truths under, under the surface that are, that are really key in our growth as disciples and, and my prayer is that you will catch what he's actually saying in this passage. So firstly, let's look at the word effort. So effort versus work. I, I shared just before the, that verse in Galatians. You know, we're not justified by our works. We're justified by grace alone and by faith and believing in Jesus. But there's a, there's a key difference between work and effort. As a, as a furniture maker previously, um, I had the pleasure of making a lot of different pieces of furniture, um, lots in my house. I've actually made all the furniture in our house, which is so good, and my wife often puts in new orders. She's like, I feel like a desk now, make me a desk, and I do, and I enjoy it. But I also, we did lots of orders for other people. One of those was the beautiful tables that I stare at out at the alley every day. That, for me, was work. That was work. I didn't enjoy that. That was a production line. I had to make 30 of these things. I've still got a, a little piece of wood in my hand from when I was moving them, and I can't get it out. It's so deep in there, and I've just got this bit of those tables. And, and that was all about just getting the job done. I wanted to put work in there so that I could complete the order. At the other end, I have my family's dining table. And that's a piece that was an absolute pleasure to make. Because as I was making it, it didn't matter if I was sanding, lacquering, doing the joints. All I could think about as I was making this piece was my family sitting around the table. And this is the difference between effort and work. Work is a struggle. Work is working hard for an outcome. Effort comes from a place of passion. And this is a really key thing here. This is why he's saying it's okay to make every effort. This isn't saying your works are going to save you, but this is saying because of what he's done, make an effort. And it has a key relationship with the next bit add, but I also want to touch on this, why effort is so important. So um, when I was eight, my family lived in Canada and it was incredible. My, my dad did an, a, a teacher exchange and, and we were traveling around America and it's interesting looking back because I personally wouldn't travel like this, but mum and dad decided it was the best way to do it and it allowed us to, but we travelled through youth hostels, which is essentially backpacker accommodation. I was eight, my sister was ten, and I had an 18-month-old brother. So we were cruising through the backpackers' hotels with people with backpacks on and then this family just loving it. And there was, we were in Vermont or Maine, I'm sure dad will correct me um, if you're listening. Hey, dad. Um, we are in Vermont or Maine and we are staying in this barn and as an eight-year-old, I saw this old guy in this barn and he was doing something that caught my attention. He was juggling. And I was like, I like that. I think I want to do that. I'd love to learn how to juggle. And so as an eight-year-old, I remember going up to this old guy, nothing, nothing weird here, just an eight-year-old going up to an old guy in a barn. And I walked up to him. I remember talking to him about juggling. And I, it, it just so fascinated me because... He was doing this thing I'd never seen anyone do. And I thought, can I do this? Could one day I juggle? And the next day, my dad being a good man, he went out and bought me juggling balls and a, a book to learn how to do it. So, if I lived a life that didn't believe in the power of effort, I would have got those juggling balls and book, chucked them on a shelf, and had this memory of a man that emulated a thing I would love to do. But I had to, from that point, take the gift that was given to me and the example that I'd seen and put a bit of effort in. 
I had to take the book and learn step by step. I had to learn how to just do one ball, catch it, one ball, catch it. And then I learned how to do two balls, catch it. And it took a while. It took a bit, especially as an eight-year-old, it takes a little while. But over time, after putting effort in, I was able to take this gift and this thing that I'd seen, or this man that I'd seen, and put it into action and do what he was doing. This is why effort is so important. You know, we're given the gift of salvation. We're shown the way to live by Jesus. We've, we've seen how good it is for those around him. Don't just leave it on a shelf. Don't just go, his grace is enough. Because his grace is enough, but now let's put in some effort. Because we don't want to be people that just look like disciples. We want to be people that are disciples. So the second one, first one, effort. It's not a dirty word. It's a good thing. Second one, add to your faith. Now, this is another one that's, that's caused me a bit of angst over the years because what Jesus brings is everything we need. And we're told from the start, don't add to your faith. And we've seen how destructive it is to add to Jesus. I mean, even later on in this letter, Peter goes on to, to talk about how damaging it is to be a false teacher and to add to Jesus. But his wording here is very clearly, add to your faith. So what's he talking about? Because we've seen the damage of Christ plus healing, Christ plus prosperity, prosperity? I think, is it prosperity, posterity? Yeah, one of those words. We've seen the damage of these things that we, as churches, in, over time have sometimes tried to add to Jesus and that's such a damaging thing for your faith, and that's not what he's talking about here. Again, I do love doing this, but we've got to go back to the original word, and it's epikorigeo, is the original word for add or supply. And so that word korigeo, or the original one is korigus, was in ancient Greek times, they basically, theatre productions were put on by the local government. So the, the government would pay for the salaries of the actors, the production, and make it all happen. It was a, it was a civic ceremony. The korigeo... They were the wealthy Athenian citizens that would be on a roster and basically would pay for the extras. So they would pay for the salaries. I just reached my goal, 7,960 steps. How good. Thank you, thank you. Um, anyway, off track. Uh, the, so they would pay for these extra things. So they would pay for, so the chorus, the people that weren't able to sing alone but could sing in the choir, they'd pay for their costumes, their salaries. They'd pay for the, the person that played the flute, a very specific instrument apparently in those times. And they'd, play, they'd pay for the mutes. So they would pay for the extra things that the government wasn't willing to pay for. And so when we get this word corrigus... When Peter's talking about it, it's developed even further to this time, and now that word corrigeo or corrigus means to make a generous offering. And so when it's talking about adding to your faith, it's not saying supplicate your faith. It's saying make a generous offering because of your faith. I think a, a better word in our modern ways would be the word philanthropy. We all would love to be philanthropists. We just don't have the bank accounts. But here, basically, Peter's telling us all of us are called to be philanthropists, but not with cash. He doesn't just want you to be, or he does, here he's not even talking about money, but he's saying, bring a generous offering of these things. And he then goes through them. And let's go through them now. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So make every effort, good word, to generously offer to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness and godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. And they don't have to be in this order. But what he's gone through here are different character traits that he's trying to bring out of us. And he's asking you to generously offer up your character 
to Him. And it's so funny, when we, when we talk about effort and we talk about living a godly life, we sometimes irk at it. We sometimes think, oh, you can't tell me how to live. And I think it's because we think every message is for a non-believer. But it's not. Jesus spoke often to His disciples and just His disciples. And when He's saying these things, He's talking to you as a disciple. He's talking to you as His follower. And He's calling you up to partner with Him in what He's already done. You know, recently I, um, I experienced this in my own life. I, there was a character trait forming in myself that I wasn't proud of. I didn't realize it was happening. I didn't realize over time until I had a moment to step back and look at myself. I realized I was becoming extremely negative and cynical. And these aren't character traits that I want. And I could have come to church and prayed got prayer and asked people to pray the negativity away, pray the cynicism away. But that's not what we're asked to do here. We're asked to make that effort on our own. You know, so often we're looking for the call of God. We're looking for purpose in our lives and we're just waiting for that opportunity to come and we go, yeah, when that happens, I'll show character. I'll be the person that I'm called to in that moment. But here Peter's being so clear. He's saying, put this into practice now. Start adding it to your faith. Start offering up your character to him. And Ree and I and the girls went away on holidays and I remember having a conversation with Ree and I said, I can't believe I've become such a negative person. That's not me. I'm not built for that. I'm not built to be negative. And that was affecting every area of my life. It was flowing into everything and this character trait was flowing into everything I did. And I was, I was at that point, to be really honest with you, I was frustrated at God. It's like, come on, where's my shot? When are you going to put me on a path? And the thing that unlocked it for me was the decision to go, you know what? That's not the character I want. That's not the type of person I want to be. I'm going to make the choice today to get that out of my life. I'm going to make the choice to add to my faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. And my encouragement to you tonight is which one of those this week are you going to grab a hold of? What are you going to choose to add to your faith this week? Because absolutely, you know what? You can keep going on, living a grace-filled life and just keeping that gift on the shelf. But if you truly want to be used by God, if you want to be effective and productive for the call of God, we need to start making a generous offering of our character. We need to start bringing that to Him and allowing Him to work through those things. It's so clear here. This isn't a bad thing to put effort in. It's a pleasure. You know, it's, um, I'll invite the band to come and join me. I was really worried I was going to go over time tonight, but I think I'm doing all right. I think I'm on track. So I want to come back to that original question. Are you being a disciple or are you just trying to look like a disciple? Because character is one of those things that is on the inside. It's one of those things that you need to handle. It's one of those things that you need to make choices about the type of person you want to be. You know, I, I find it interesting that at the beginning of this letter, Simon Peter starts with his full name, Simon Peter. He doesn't just start it with Peter. And, and this letter is written to the early church. It's written to the Christians of the early church. And it's, he's doing this to encourage them and spur them on. But I love that he starts it with this reminder that he started as Simon and is now Peter. 
Most of these early Christians would have only known him as Peter. They would have only known him as the leader of the early church, the man that walked beside Jesus and was one of his inner circle. But he started as Simon. He was a fisherman. God called him. He said, follow me. He followed him. And he was a massive buffhead. He made so many terrible decisions as a disciple. He's the one that swiped the ear off a soldier. He's the one that denied Jesus three times. And so in your walk today, I just want you to be encouraged. Maybe you're at the Simon part of your story. Maybe it's early on. The good news is he's not calling you to be Peter right now. He's calling you to start to work towards that. Make every effort to add to your faith these things. And as you do that, he will slowly build you in that process. And that's discipleship. That's maturing in your faith. Maturity in faith doesn't happen in a moment. It happens over a lifetime. So you've got a choice. You can decide to start maturing in your faith today. You can start in 20 years. Or you can never start. But that's something that I won't be able to see. That's something that only you and God will know. Because the only people that can spot a fake are the people that bought it and the people that created it. And your creator wants to see you step into all his purposes. He wants to see you walk in his plans for you. And so, as I said at the beginning, this isn't a group here. We're not a, we're not a collective. We're individuals. And so, for each of you, I want to speak to your heart right now. I want to say, what are you going to do today to distinguish yourself as a disciple? What are you going to do to step out and, and say to Jesus, I am a disciple. I'm sick of pretending to look like one. I'm sick of going through the motions. I want to step into your call. So I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to add to my faith. I'm going to make a generous offering of myself. It's so interesting that Peter uses the words generous offering and, and, and money and these things. And we look, about, we look at Jesus and he paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price for you and I. He gave his life. Do you know what he asked of us? To give of ourselves to him. He asked us to give him his, our character. To give him our lives in what we do. And he's not right at, right at the start going to say, this is the journey I've got you on. But as you start to put these things in place, you'll start to see yourself transformed from a Simon into a Peter. And that's the key for all of us. I don't know what name he has for you. Only you will know that name. At the moment, you're Nathan, Beck, David, Cam. But at the end of your life, our goal is to have his identity, to be living a life that replicates his so much that he can see his working within it. So I just want to encourage you to start that process. Discipleship isn't a moment. It's a process. It'll happen over time. We're going to sing that song again. If you want to jump to your feet. So I want to go right back to that original point. And that's the gospel. It all starts with the gospel. It ends with the gospel. And it's filled with the gospel. Our walk as Christians is focused on Jesus. It's focused on what he's already done in our lives. It's focused on the, the price that he paid. And this song, King of Kings, it beautifully says the words of the gospel. 
You know, we're reconciled to Him through Jesus. And so tonight, I just want you, as we sing this song, to reflect. Say, what's my version of the gospel? Where do I sit on that spectrum? Am I super focused on legalism, on truth? Or do I think I can just get away with anything because of the gift of grace? And allow Him to center your heart again and spur you forward as a disciple. So we'll bring the house lights down and and we'll sing this together.